so I have a, a short thing that I want to share for Mother's Day today. It starts out by saying it's Mother's Day in Australia today uh, because obviously Paul and a bunch of other people who would normally zoom in um, or listen later don't realise that Mother's Day in Australia is a different date to in America. Uh, and I always feel a little bit awkward introducing Mother's Day. Mother's Day is the same. Is Mother's Day the same, is it? Mother's Day is different. It's Father's Day that's different. There you go. It's different in the UK. And it's different in the UK. Well, so I'm only mostly wrong. <laughs> yeah, all of Joe Gilder's Mother's Day recipes come out of the wrong There you go. Uh, so, but I always feel awkward doing uh, introductions for Mother's Day and Father's Day because, um, because I've had such great you know, experiences with my parents and I have a really strong relationship with them. And I know that Mother's Day and Father's Day are sometimes very complicated for other people. Um, complicated because of grief or because of, of bad experiences or, and so I just want to be uh, aware that it's not always a easy day for some people, uh, depending on their own circumstances. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I want to be able to celebrate and enjoy the fact that I have had such a great relationship with my uh, my parents and with my mum. Uh, so my childhood was not perfect, no one's is, but it was pretty good. Uh, and there are definitely moments I look back on and I think, all right, maybe we could have done that differently, but there's never been any doubt for me, the love that I have uh, experienced from my, uh, my mum and my dad. At this point, I'll just start talking about mums. Well established that my dad's a great guy as well. Uh, there's never been any doubt. And I think that gives me a bit of a theological privilege. It gave me a privilege in life, but it also gives me theological privilege because I don't have to wade past really broken traumatic images of God that I have projected because of the experience I had with my parents. And I know for some people talking about God the Father is difficult because of their father relationship, but even more so uh, in the kind of Christian circles most of us grew up in, the idea of God the Mother is controversial full stop, but then because of those challenging portraits or experiences that they've had, it just is an impossibility for them to manage that. Uh, so I, a few years ago, I preached the message on Mother's Day about God as a mother, uh, and it was a little bit more controversial. Uh, but basically, the reason I did that is because I think a lot of the time in Christendom, yeah. we talk about the father heart of God in a way that really what we're talking about is the maternal aspects of God. And we attribute those to the father heart of God because we are really uncomfortable with the idea of God being mother. Uh, but we know from scripture that God is a spirit and we are created in the image of God, male and female created in the image of God. And that there is, uh, and that, that idea of male and female in Genesis, by the way, that's a mirrorism. Um, so it's like saying that God created um, the heavens and the earth. He created everything in between them as well. Uh, so when I say that God created male and female in his image, I'm saying the full spectrum of humanity is reflected in God, the mother, just as much as it is in God, the father. And in church history, we see this. And it's controversial because nowadays we're very upset about God taking on a, a more feminine aspect. Uh, but in the patristic period, the medieval theologians, we look at people like Ambrose and Chrysostom and Origen, Irenaeus, even Augustine, um, who is kind of famously sexist. Uh, they all described God in maternal terms. Uh, but you'll note in that long list there that I just gave, well, not that long, of theologians, they're all men. 
so one of the damaging consequences of our patriarchal history, especially in Christianity, is that it has denigrated often the role of women and it has promoted men as being intellectually and theologically superior and a particular type of men, um, uh, you know, as well. And because of that, it's led to literally thousands of years of testosterone-driven theology um, that diminishes women and heavily focuses on God's absolute power, his uh, immutability, uh, which is that he never changes, and his impassiveness, that he has no emotions. Uh, and these are things I utterly reject. Uh, I just don't believe those things about God. Uh, and many of these church fathers that I listed believed incredibly sexist things about women, but they were still able to recognize the maternal aspects of God's nature and character. So if they're capable of identifying God as feminine and in maternal terms, then I think we should be able to do that as well. And so if you want to look at that more fully, I'll point you in the direction of my Mother's Day um, message from 2020. But today I just want to jump into the first few verses of the lectionary passage. Uh, so the verses are from John 14, 15 to 21. I'm just going to look at the first two verses though. Normally I feel like the lectionary cuts things too short and I stretch it out, but this week I'm going to make it even smaller. And it just says this, if you love me, so Jesus is speaking here, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, if you do a quick Google search on Jesus' commands, you'll find it is a very long list of things that he said <clears throat> uh, in a commanding way. And we said, do this, do this, do this. But more than any of those, he says that we should love. In fact, he summarizes uh, his commands for us quite concisely uh, when a teacher of the law came to him and said, what is the um, commandment that's the most important uh, this is in Mark 12, and in 29, Jesus says, The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Uh, again, in John 15, shortly after the lectionary passage, Jesus says, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And then a few verses later, he says, this is my command, love each other. These verses in John are part of the kind of final discourse of Jesus before he um, went through his passion and, and, and crucifixion and resurrection. And he's trying to establish, this is the important thing. If you missed everything else, if you've come in late, this is the bit that makes sense. Love each other. Love each other the way that I have loved you. And as I was reading this uh, in the last week, it it occurred to me how incredibly forward and beautiful it is how Jesus speaks about loving the people around him. Like I say to my kids that I love them and I say to my wife that I love her. I even say to my mum and my dad that I love them. But it's a more unusual occasion for me to say to a dear friend that I love you. Like it's a weird kind of experience to have people around you and say, I, I, I love you. And for some of you that like, maybe Brooke says it to everyone, I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe for some of you, that's a really common thing. But for me, I was just struck by that. I was like, wow, actually, yeah, Jesus was really comfortable with this group of people and he knows that it's the end and it's kind of like his farewell. And he's like, I just, I need you to know that I love you. And I just think that's really uh, beautiful. The love that he's speaking of there is, and you would have often heard it described as agape love, 
Uh, it's sometimes translated as charity because it's selfless and it's noble and it's giving. Uh, and it's a, it's a sacrifice to love that way for the benefit of another. And it's not dependent on that person's response to you. Uh, so I want to encourage you this week, tell someone that you love them, someone who you, that you do love, but you don't often share that kind of intimacy with. Go out on that limb, be awkward and just say, I love you. Maybe start with your mum. Be generous with your love. And if you uh, can't muster up those words because it's um, too much for you, then we can engage in actions that show that love. Start small and be kind as an expression of love. Um, I have often talked about the simplicity of Jesus' command to love. Um, But it really is just so important for us to remember that. Because when I look at history and I look at um, Christendom broadly, it seems that some people think that correction is more important than washing feet or that judgment is more important than making meals or that condemnation uh, is somehow higher than compassion or that wrath is better than comfort. But I'm convinced that following Jesus' commands means that we build a community defined by love and characterized by a deep sense of belonging. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The, the NIV translate this, wor- this word um, as advocate. It's parakletos, uh, parakletos in the Greek. and literally means, uh, uh, so para means alongside or beside and kletos means to be called. So it means to be alongside called. So he's saying, I'm going to send someone to be alongside of you. They will be called to be alongside of you, uh, which is why we would use the word advocate. So in a, in a court context, your defense attorney comes alongside you. They are called to defend you. So they're an advocate. But it's the same you would say about a teacher who is called alongside a student or a mother who is called alongside their children. When I uh, look at this, the other words that you find if you kind of look across the, the translations for parakletos is a helper, counselor, encourager, mediator, and comforter. And when I think of these words, these are the words that I would use to describe my mum. My mum uh, is a beautiful woman and she laid down a lot of things in order to love uh, me and my, um, my siblings and my dad. And she helped and she counseled and encouraged, frequently mediated and always comforted. And so when I look at my childhood and I reflect on Jesus' command when he says to love one another, I, um, and that's how we love Jesus, I can confidently say my mum loved Jesus and I can see that in how she loved me. I can also see that uh, when I look to my incredible wife, um, who, is, who is a mum to my kids, and she is fierce and kind and a very supportive advocate. And she is a comforting presence in my kid's life. That idea of comfort is just so powerful because uh, the parakletos in the Greek is a masculine word, but for me, there is no question that it draws out this idea of comforter and advocate. Um, the, it draws out maternal kind of emotive instinct for me. The interesting thing about comforting is that it doesn't fix the situation. It just changes the experience of the situation for the the person being comforted. It's not a fixer. 
It's a person who is with you in your challenge, in your grief or in your struggle, and they provide support and comfort for you that changes your experience and makes it more hopeful and bearable. And I think that our mother God wants to comfort us just as our earthly mothers want to comfort us when we struggle. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the advocate and he will give you another. Uh, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate, another mediator, another comforter to help you and be with you forever. So the end of Jesus' ministry, these is, this is the, the strong message that he wants to share with his disciples. He's saying, I'm not abandoning you. The other one, the other will come alongside you and comfort and mediate and lead and help and serve and sacrifice. Just as I have the father, the mother will come and do that as well. Uh, so my question is, if our love for one another is how we show that we are a friend of Jesus, is, um, and that this is the better litmus test for our faith than any doctrinal statement, is how we love. My question is, do you love? Uh, and not the kind of love that is delivered with violence or condemnation or wrath or fear, but with advocacy and comforting words and actions. Um, and I'll just finish with this uh, funny little thing here. Uh, often the acronym, the, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? Um, I know for myself, if sometimes I can't quite get my head around it, especially when I think about it in the context of my own kids, I'm like, what would Jesus do right now? It's hard for me to think of that because Jesus wasn't a, a dad, uh, but I can think, what would Jan do? What would Jess do? That's my WWJD. Uh, my mother and my wife, what would these people do in this moment? Um, and either of those answers, I think, will point me towards the most loving response uh, because these incredible mothers live out Jesus' commands in a way that inspires me and educates me and challenges me. Um, and I think that that is really beautiful. And I think that we can, in looking at the, the motherly uh, aspects uh, and, and people around us, we can learn something beautiful about God, about how he wants to comfort and care for us. Um, as a, a motherly God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the mums in our lives. Uh, I thank you for the mums in this community. And I pray that we would uh, learn from them and that we would understand your mother heart for us, your beautiful, gentle, kind, fierce mother heart for us, and that we would then be able to love like that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.